We are continuing a book series that we started several weeks ago, and I've done this the last couple weeks. I'm going to continue to do this so it's implanted in our minds. We have a theme for the book series through Ephesians, and I want to know if anybody remembers what that theme is. It's on your bulletin. You can cheat if you want to. What, someone want to say it? What is it? Wow, that was almost in unison. That was great. Lifestyles of the rich and godly is the theme through the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 today, verses 1 to 13. And we're going to title the lesson today, Mystery Riches. Mystery Riches, and we will get that right from the text. So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13 is where we're going to find ourselves today. If you have your Bibles, please join us there. Before I get to the reading of the Word of God, did you ever get a piece of news that changed your life for the better? Hopefully you have. Hopefully we all have. That's the point of today. But think about that question. Did you ever get a piece of news that changed your life for the better? Well, I had a couple times in my life where that happened. When I moved to Michigan, I started dating this girl named Janine. And I'm lucky to say that that worked out well. Um, but in the process of getting to know someone and dating somebody and having a relationship with them, you get to the period in the relationship where you do something that we have termed DTR. Does anyone know what that means? Okay, see, at college, everyone would have known what this means. We used it all the time. It means, what does it mean? Thank you. Thank you, Heather. Define the relationship. In other words, figure out where you stand with the other person. No one's ever DDR. Guys, we had a DTR in college all the time. That was just a thing. Anyways, when I met, when I met Janine, we just started dating. We didn't really DTR right away. We just started dating. We were a couple, I think, just by going out, spending time together. But it came to a point where I had to DTR. I had to figure out where I stood with Janine. <laughs> My dad's shaking his head. <clears throat> but you'll understand after I share this what I mean. And I had to basically find out if there were grounds for marriage with Janine. You know, you have to have that conversation. You can't just assume that either. I can't just show up at an altar and just hope she's there. You can do that? Well, uh, so I decided... I was going to define the relationship, and the way I was going to define the relationship to Janine a couple times is I was going to tell her the big L word. Yes, would you please loan me money? <laughs> and if she said yes, then I would know I got something sweet. <clears throat> no, of course I was going to tell her I loved her, and that was, Janine remembers that experience when I was in the car and we were holding hands, and I said to her, would you, I love you. <laughs> I didn't say the loan. I said, I love you. And that was, that was something that was hard to say, even though I did love her and I wanted to marry her because now she had a choice to either say, no, I won't loan you money or yes, I love you too. And happy to say she said, I love you back. And going on into the relationship, I also had to ask her dad for the rights to marry her, his daughter. And so I remember that conversation as well saying, you know, dad, I didn't say dad, it was too presumptuous, but I said, Mr. Thurmond, could I have your daughter's hand in marriage? And then he had a choice to either say, get lost, kid. I never want to see you again. Or yes, you can marry my daughter. And he said, he said yes, <laughs> thankfully. And then I actually proposed to Janine, and that could have gone two ways either. I could have given her the ring, and she could have thrown it in the yard. Or she could have said, yes, I will marry you. And that, that news all along the way, when, those, when I got confirmations of her love and the fact that she said yes to marrying me was news that changed my life. Now, it could have changed my life another way if she would have said no. But she changed my life for the good, and I got married to Janine um, four or five years later. I've told this story before, but Janine and I found out we were pregnant, and we went to the ultrasound to find out 
what we were having. You know, we're not the kind of people that can wait to see what the gender of the baby is. We want to know as soon as possible. So we went to the ultrasound, and it was the first time that I ever realized that people can have twins. Because the doctor told us, you're having two babies at once. And I was stunned by that news. Even though I knew twins are possible, I just never considered myself to be the father of twins. So when the doctor said, you're having two babies at once and they're identical, that news changed our life. And if you guys know Titus and Levi now, they're, they're a wonderful blessing to our soul, to our lives. And that news changed us for the better. But did you ever have a piece of news that changed your life for the better? We're going to look at a piece of news today that has the propensity to change all of our lives forever. And we're going to find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Please follow along as I read the word of God. This is what Paul says in verse 1. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. The title of our lesson today is Mystery Riches. We have three goals that we're going to set before us, for us today, and hopefully if we have time, we will get to all of these goals. Goal number one is this, very clearly, to understand the mystery Paul is referring to, which he said was hidden for generations. We're going to discover what that mystery is today if we don't know it already. That's goal number one. Goal number two is to be awakened by the revelation of this mystery so that we love Jesus passionately because I believe that's the goal of this mystery. And goal number three, if we have time, is for the unsearchable riches of Christ to be discovered by unifying with his church. As we all meet here today as a church, we are going to find that the unsearchable riches of Christ are actually best discovered by unifying with the church of Christ. Do you like mysteries? Anyone out there like mysteries? You guys watch mysteries or read mysteries? We used to watch these films... I think he's still around. I don't know if he's quite as popular anymore, but M. Night Shyamalan, anybody know who that is? Yeah. For a while, he was making some great mystery movies, you know, and those mystery movies were, were quite entertaining because you would be watching the movie and be into the movie, and suddenly, right at the end, there was some really big twist, right? And uh, the movie would take you another direction than you totally intended to go, and so I liked those kind of movies. I liked the mysteries kind of being unraveled there as you watched the movies, but... Um, do you like mysteries? Because today we're going to look at possibly the longest mystery that ever existed in the history of time. And we're going to talk about what this mystery is here in point number one. 
But for countless generations, this mystery that we're going to talk about today was cloaked. It was hidden, purposefully hidden for generations. And Paul tells the Ephesians that he is in prison because he was given the task to reveal this mystery to the Gentiles. And if you remember last week, we talked about what Gentiles are. They're simply people who are not Jews. Didn't grow up in the Jewish faith. Did not grow up an Israelite. If that is you, you are a Gentile by nature. Every single one of us is. And Paul said he's in prison because he revealed this mystery to the Gentiles. People like us. God gave this gospel revelation to Paul and commanded Paul to spread this mystery as far and wide as he could. Get it to every town. Get it to every nation. Travel the waters. Travel the roads. Travel the seas. And spread this mystery in this gospel far and wide. The gospel, if you know anything about the gospel, it teaches us a few things, doesn't it? It teaches us that Jesus came to save us from our sins and to free us from that sin so we can serve God once again. And how did he do that? Jesus died. He died and he resurrected the third day. And that is the crux, that is the foundation of the gospel message that Paul was sharing but this message was supposed to be for God's people, the Jews, right? Good news for God's people. That's why Paul was supposed to share this message, share it to God's people. And that was the Jews. The Jews and the Israelites were God's people. At least if you read the entire Old Testament, that's the conclusion you would probably come to. And many of Paul's Jewish brothers hated this mystery. They beat him for it. They locked him up because of it. And they commanded him not to speak any more about this mystery. His Jewish brothers. Paul was a Jew. Paul grew up Jewish. And his brothers commanded him, we don't want to hear it anymore. Zip it, Paul. No more of this mystery. No more of this gospel message. And if you do, we'll continue to beat you. We'll continue to throw you in jail. And you might lose your life, Paul. But not only was Paul not staying silent about this mystery, because he feared God and not man, he even used this divine opportunity as he's in jail right now, as he's penning this letter to Ephesians, to spread the mystery once again. So they would be crystal clear on it and they would embrace this gospel message as truth. So what is the mystery? I'm not going to keep you hanging like an M. Night Shyamalan film. We're going to tell you right away what the mystery is. And you find it there in verse 6. What is the mystery that Paul is referring to? The mystery is this. That Gentiles, non-Jewish people, are fellow heirs with the Jews. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, maybe to us that doesn't seem like a mystery. Maybe to us that doesn't seem shocking. But it would have in that day. It really would have. Because Gentiles, if you look the word up, you know what Gentile means? Outsider. Not God's people. That's what Gentile means. It means outsider and not God's people. I want you to imagine the Old Testament. Who were some of the Israelites' enemies? People like the Philistines. Remember the Philistines? Would that have been shocking to find out that the Philistines were God's people? That would have been shocking to the Israelites, right? The Philistines. Remember Goliath? Remember all the battles they had with the Philistines? That would have been shocking to find out that the Philistines could be part of God's family. How about the Ninevites? Remember Jonah had to take the gospel message to the Ninevites? He didn't want to do that. He hated the Ninevites. The Ninevites were wicked, evil people, and Jonah is confused by this, going, why the Ninevites? So it seems even from, the, from ages past that God has been sort of 
undoing our understanding of what God's people means. But here is where we really find out that Gentiles are not just a part of the family of God, but are also fellow heirs with Christ. They're partakers of the promise of the gospel, which means they can have eternal hope. They can have eternal life. They can wait for the eternal riches, just like the Jewish Christians can. But not only can they partake of it, they are in the same family as the Jews, brothers and sisters in Christ. That would have been shocking. I tried to imagine myself back in the day trying to figure that out, going, really? The Gentiles? I think that probably would have made me a little upset. These people were not good people by nature. They were not God's people. They were not people who knew the law and followed the law. These were outsiders. These were common folk. These were not religious leaders like many of the Jews were. But they, we're, we're going to find out here, were always supposed to be a part of God's plan. And so that is the mystery. We have to lay that mystery before us because we have to understand and appreciate that mystery today. Because remember, we are Gentiles. We are. This mystery really means something to us. At least it better. But it may not seem like a mystery to us. We've walked in this truth. We've lived in this truth for thousands of years. This may not be shocking to hear this at this very moment. But maybe it is. Maybe this is the first time you're understanding what this means. And for generations, you have to understand, nobody knew this. For generations, no one understood that Gentiles were a part of God's plan. It was the Jews. It was the nation of Israel that God loved. God loved alone. He was, that was their people, and everyone else was cut off from God. You were either Israelite or you were not Israelite. And if you were not Israelite, too bad. You're not God's people. You're not a part of God's plan. In the Old Testament, if you read it, it's Israelites, 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 isn't it? And everyone else is cut off. But I believe if you look closely into the Old Testament today, understanding this mystery, you can find it. You can. You can see that God's plan was always trending this way, always working to uncover this mystery. But he did purposefully hide that mystery for generations. But maybe we're thinking here today, well, why wouldn't God love Gentiles? I mean, come on. Why wouldn't God love the Gentiles? I'm a lovely person. I'm a good person. Why wouldn't God love me? Of course he should. But you have to remember what we studied at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. Do you remember the resume we had before God? Dead in our sins. Following the devil. Following the course of this world. Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Rest of mankind. Does that sound like a good person? doesn't to me. I could say this confidently. Gentiles are not good people. We're not good people by nature, none of us, myself included. We are bad people. We are people who have walked against God's law, against God's glory. But you know what we also are? We learned this when we looked at Ephesians chapter 2. We are also perfect vessels to glorify God when we receive salvation. Why is that? Because we know we're undeserving. And anyone who is undeserving, who receives an enormous gift, has to thank the one whom gave that to them. God. And Gentiles are in the perfect position. If they understand this, they're not God's people by nature. They're not. They are cut off. They are strangers and aliens to God's promise. When they receive the blessings of the gospel, who do they return glory to? They give it to God. They don't claim, yes, we walked in the law. We knew the Old Testament. We, we lived according to the standards God said. No, they said we didn't. We didn't even know it. God gave this to us as a gift. Do you see that? Perfect vessels to glorify God. And God was hiding this mystery for a time. But he didn't make this plan up as he went. 
God had always planned this to be the reality for every single Gentile, that we could be a part of God's plan. Because God is sovereign. And we learned in chapter 1 that we were chosen before the foundation of this world. Does that sound like God made it up? No. It sounds like God had always planned for it to be that way. But this news was incredibly shocking for the people of Peter's day, Paul's day. It was. Do you remember the, the news of the birth of Jesus? Do you remember the Christmas story? Wasn't that shocking news to many? That a babe had come and that was, was the Messiah. And as soon as the shepherds and the wise men heard this, what did they do? They rushed to see it. This was shocking news that the Messiah was here. Not only was he here, but he was a babe. He had come as a baby. And the shepherds and the wise men and several other had to go see him immediately. That was shocking news. And so was this message. This mystery would have blown people's minds. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10, because I don't want you to take my word for it. In Acts chapter 10, we're going to find out that the apostle Peter, even, didn't know this for a time. I'm not going to be able to read all of this today because of time, but I do want to show you this amazing passage in Acts chapter 10, the first time Peter realizes that Gentiles are part of God's plan. In Acts chapter 10, he meets a man called Cornelius. But I'm going to read a little bit of the, of the story here, and then I'll, I'll just interject the rest. It says in verse 1 in Acts chapter 10, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known of the Italian cohort. It says he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now this is where Peter comes involved. In verse 9, the next day, as they were on the journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing the food, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in the sheet were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said to him, By no means, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came back to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So what's going to happen in this story is Peter is going to go to the house of Cornelius. Peter really doesn't understand any of this at this moment. He's been told, I want you to go to these people's house. You have a message that they need. Cornelius and his family need a message. But Peter, based on the vision, thinks, I'm not supposed to just eat anything. There is a certain process by which I eat food. I don't eat anything that's unclean or common according to the Old Testament religious system. 
And God has said to him very clearly, what I have made clean, do not call common. Now, he's not referring to food. God is not referring to food here. He's using food as an illustration for what Peter is going to learn that day. Because Cornelius and his household are Gentiles. They're not Jews. And Cornelius has feared God and he wants to worship God. But even Cornelius needs the message of the gospel in order to be clean, in order for his sacrifices, for his worship to be accepted. So Peter is told to go to Cornelius' house. And Peter listens, he obeys, and he goes to this town and finds Cornelius and his household. And let's pick up the reading in verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is, listen to this part, for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then, why did you send for me? And Cornelius tells them. He tells them exactly the vision that he got, that he needed to hear something from Peter. And Peter, in verse 34, opens up his mouth and says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And at that moment, Paul, for the first, Peter, for the first time, shares the gospel with Gentiles. And the Gentiles come to Christ. And Peter, at this moment, has no idea that was even possible. He didn't know he was supposed to associate with Gentiles. He didn't know they could receive the gospel. He didn't know that they were about to be in his family. But Peter learned that day that Gentiles, too, are part of God's plan and to not call anyone uncommon or unclean, common or unclean. So that's where we learn that even Peter had to find out that Gentiles were a part of God's plan. This would have been shocking. It was shocking. And even as Peter had to sort of tell that story to the other apostles, they are shocked, going, really? And Peter's like, yes, I share the gospel. They receive the Holy Spirit. They're new. They're clean. They're just like us now. And that's the mystery. That is the mystery. That people like us who did not grow up with the Old Testament religious system can still come to God and be cleaned and find salvation and hope for all of eternity. And that leads to point number two. This mystery should awaken our souls to love Jesus. Because I told you, this mystery has the propensity to change our lives forever. If we understand this mystery and we receive it and believe it, it will change our lives forever. And you have to remember, too, we're also Gentiles. This is really important to us today. So let's look at point number two. This mystery should awaken our souls. Paul says he was a minister of this gospel message. Paul's primary ministry was to take this message to the Gentiles. Now, Paul was a Jew. Paul was not a Gentile. Paul grew up in the Old Testament religious system. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was a guy that knew all the Old Testament religious ways, and he adhered to them. But God selected Paul to take this message to the opposite group of people, the people that didn't know it, the people that didn't grow up in it, the people that had no understanding about God or his ways. So that was Paul's calling. His chief ministry was to spread this message to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Now, this is going to cause a problem here. 
because Jewish, <laughs> Jewish people stick together. Paul had a lot of Jewish family members, a lot of Jewish friends, and this was going to make a lot of these people very angry with Paul. This was not going to make Paul very popular. In fact, Paul wasn't popular basically his whole life. Uh, when he was hurting the Christians, all the Christians were feared him and hated him, and when he became a Christian, all the Jews hated him. So Paul always had constant enemies, but once he realized that that was his chief calling, this made a lot of the Jews angry. Because we mentioned this last week, the Jews, a lot of them had this, like, elitism. We're better than you. We're God's people. You're not God's people. You're cut off. We're special. They had this, like, entitlement complex, this elitism, because they thought they were special and everyone else was garbage. It's just honest. And not only this, Paul was a natural Jew. It must have looked like he wasn't being loyal to his Jewish heritage. So picture the pride the Jews had, teamed with their hatred for the Gentiles because they didn't like the Gentiles. They didn't look highly on the Gentiles. They hated the Gentiles. And picture that teamed with their perception that Paul is being a traitor to his own people. This made the Jews very angry. That the Gentiles might be included into God's plan and that Paul was going to share this message far and wide. Paul got in some hot water with his Jewish brothers. But at the same time, at the same time, this should amaze us Gentiles that this message is truth. It is truth. It is for us. And that Paul was risking his neck in order to get that message to us. Didn't he? Paul got in some hot water. Paul got really abused. Paul got thrown into dungeons. He got flogged. He got hurt a lot. He got left alone a lot. And the reason was is because he wanted to get that message to the Gentiles. That's what God called him to do. And if you know anything about the end of Paul's life, how did he die? The very same way. Paul simply wouldn't zip his mouth about the gospel, and he got killed for it. He was martyred. So that's Paul's life. Paul is risking his neck every single day, every single month, to get the message, to get the mystery to the Gentiles. So people like us sitting in these chairs would know Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that? We weren't supposed to be there, but the message was given to us. And people like Paul and many others risked their lives to make sure that we could hear it. And here we are today. Praise God. And the way Paul describes this gospel message, which is a really amazing phrase, he calls it the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. That's how Paul described the gospel message. The riches of Christ, which are unsearchable. He wanted the Gentiles to know that this message was the most valuable and important message anyone could ever receive. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this message is the most important message anyone could ever receive? Because people back in the day, once they realized how special this was, would have understood that. This is amazing. This is astounding. How could God give us this gospel? And so Paul was doing all that he could to make them understand that. And he also did it for this reason. It says this in Romans 11, which we'll look at here in a little bit. Paul was telling the Gentiles boldly to make his Jewish brothers jealous. Not so they'd just be angry. Not that kind of jealousy. He wanted his Jewish brothers jealous so they might become envious and want what the Gentiles had because the Jews are not cut off either. It's for them as well. But many of them were rejecting the message because of pride, because of elitism, because of the fact that the Gentiles were included and they didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles. 
So they were rejecting Jesus Christ, and the Gentiles were flocking to Jesus Christ. But Paul wanted his Jewish brothers to find Jesus as well. So he's sharing this message for the Gentiles, and he's sharing this message so that the Jews become envious and find Christ also. Isn't that amazing? And Paul was, he says in the, in the passage here, he was empowered by God to preach the message to the Gentiles, that they can be eternally rich in Christ, along with the Jews. This is not, we're kicking the Jews out, no. God is including the Gentiles into the family of God, along with the Jews who want it, who can believe it. And one more flip, Romans 11, if you have your Bibles, I want to show you something today, because... Again, this is easy to say. I want you to understand this from Scripture, that the Gentiles were God's original people, were God's original plan. But Gentiles were, he uses the term, grafted in. Okay, let's go to Romans 11, verses 11, and we'll read here a little bit. Romans 11, 11, he's speaking of the Jews, and he starts here in verse 11, and he says this, So I ask, did they, the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, that just means sins, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. There it is. For if the rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now listen to what he says in verse 17. But if some of the branches, these are natural Jewish people. He's calling branches. There's a tree analogy he's using here. If some of the branches were broken off, and all you, Gentile, Although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They, the Jews, were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And I'll stop there. Basically what he's saying is this. The Jews were given every benefit of God. Every benefit of the gospel. If they wanted it, it was there. If they wanted to serve God, they could. If they wanted to be with God for all of eternity, they could. But many of them acted in disbelief and disobedience. And God was patient for generations. And he's sending prophets. He's sending people. He's sending the Lord Jesus himself to try to get the Jews to repent and turn back to God because they had gone astray. They were serving other idols. They were bowing down to false gods. They were living any way they wanted. And God was frustrated by that. But he also wanted them back with him. But many of the Jews didn't listen. They continued to walk in disbelief and disobedience. And you know what God did? Using the tree analogy, he took their branch and he broke it off. And he said, if you're not going to appreciate what you have in me, I'm going to give your position to someone else. And not just someone else, but the Gentiles. 
because you acted in disbelief and disobedience, the Gentiles now have the opportunity to find your position. And many of the Gentiles, I mean, thousands, millions, maybe more than that, found their way into the family of God through adoption, through Jesus Christ, and the Jews were cut off. Not every Jew. Many of the Jews were kept, but several of the Jews were broken off and lost their position with God. And then he has a warning for the Gentiles in the same passage. He says, remember, Gentile, you're not the natural branch. If God can break off the natural branch, the Jew, because of disbelief and disobedience, he certainly can break off the unnatural branch if you act in the same fashion that they did. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting that we found our position with God based on the Jews' disbelief and disobedience. And now here we are. We're in Christ. We love Christ. We've accepted the gospel message. And now Paul says, be careful. Now that you're here, don't act the same way they did. Because if he broke off the natural branch because of disbelief, he can break you off as well. Now, does God want to break anybody off? No, he does not. God wants every single person to find the relationship with Jesus Christ. But every single one of us has a choice when we hear this message, when we hear this gospel message, to receive it, to believe in it, to walk in it, or to go, whatever. I'll find my own way to God. I think I'm a pretty special person. I'm good enough. So, what is this message teaching us today? It should teach us that we are and have received something so incredible from God. Whatever you picture about God being a harsh taskmaster, many times like the world sees him with lightning bolts in his hands, ready to zap people when they misstep, is that our God? That is not our God, people. That is not the God we find in the scriptures. God has done a few things, so we understand this. Number one, God came up with a plan to save us. Us, Gentiles. And you know that plan was incredibly costly to God? This plan meant the death, the sacrifice of his only begotten son, Jesus. Can you imagine sacrificing your one and only son for people who hate you and are walking in rebellion? God did it. God came up with a plan to sacrifice his son so that we would find life. And when you forgive someone that wrongs you, you're absorbing the pain. You're not lashing out. You're not giving them what they deserve. You're absorbing the pain and you're giving them forgiveness. That plan was costly to God. We hurt God. We walked away from God, against God. We lived in rebellion and sin. And God forgave us, which means he had to absorb the pain. God had to take that hurt on himself. And not only that, but he sacrificed his precious only begotten son in order to save us. Do you see how costly that plan was? Do you see that God's love has no limits? God doesn't want to destroy anybody. God doesn't want anybody cast off from him. He is willing to bend over backwards if necessary to save us. And second of all, Jesus had to go to the cross. Jesus had to go to the cross. The greatest sacrifice that was ever given to someone was Jesus dying on the cross. For sinners. Why? Because God loves us that much. He's willing to send his son to earth to become a babe, so humiliating, from the Son of God, from angels praising and worshiping your name all day, every day, to a babe, to having to be nursed and raised and grow up and people reject you and mock you and abuse you. And then you finally go to the cross and die for their sins. 
Do you see the length and the depth and the breadth of the love of God? God also purposefully hid this message for generations, and maybe one reason he did that is so that we wouldn't take it for granted like many of the Jews did. Hopefully, that message still is fresh to you. It's been a couple thousand years since this mystery has been revealed, and hopefully we're not taking it for granted, because we shouldn't. We should never take it for granted. This message, this mystery that was given to us is so special. God wanted us in his family. And he empowered Paul and others to preach this message boldly so that we might be saved and blessed by God's riches and love forever. Do you understand how much God loves you? Do you understand that God could have sent us all to hell? We were the ones that rebelled. We were the ones that chose to sin. God did not make us do that. We chose to sin. God could have sent us to hell. He could have let us remain spiritual orphans forever, but he didn't. He said, I want you, I want you in my family. And I'm going to show you and prove that to you by giving you the greatest gift I've ever given anyone in the history of time, my son, so that you will know how much I love you, so that you will run to God, not run away from God, run to God and say, God, this is right where I belong. And this, this plan, this gospel was incredibly costly to God. It was incredibly costly to Paul. Paul eventually gave his life for the sharing of this message because he wanted people to know as well that God is love. And he sent his son in order to prove that to you and to save you from your sins. Do you understand the amazing love of God? Do you live in the amazing love of God? Does that give you hope every single night as we walk in this scary world that we live in? In verse 10, if we can read that verse one more time, we discover that this mystery message is so glorifying and so amazing that even heavenly beings are in awe of what they watch unfold before God. Listen to what it says in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold, varied, complex wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay? Even the angels didn't know this message was coming to the Gentiles. Even the angels are watching this unfold going, what? You've got to be kidding me. The Gentiles are receiving the gospel message and they're watching this unfold on earth and it's blowing their minds. The, amazing, the angels were given power and authority to do amazingly profound acts towards God's people in service to God, but they too were kept from knowing this mystery until the proper time. God wanted to be glorified by the revealing of this mystery. And he was. He was glorified on earth when people understood it, going, wow, the Gentiles. And he was glorified in heaven when the angels go, wow, the Gentiles. God's wisdom is varied and complex and manifold so that God would be glorified. And this gospel message was the most amazing message any creature under heaven or in heaven could ever hear. Do you love this message? Do you proclaim this message to others if you have it? Has this message changed your life? Because that's the point. It's supposed to. It's supposed to awaken your soul to love Jesus passionately. And these mystery riches even amaze the angels. These riches that have come to the Gentiles shock heavenly creatures. And that's an amazing thing to know. Why would sinners such as us be eternally rich in Christ? Why? If we don't appreciate this or we take this for granted, then we really don't know what has come to us because we were sinners by nature. 
And even the angels are envious of what we can explore, what we can know. We are more privileged than the angels. When we looked at 1 Peter 1, that's exactly what it says. In many respects, we're more privileged than the angels. The angels don't understand this grace. The angels don't understand this message in its entirety. They weren't sinners by nature and then redeemed and restored back to God. We are. And the angels are going, wow. Wow, what a message. What a mystery. What a gospel have come to the Gentiles. We may not know until we get to heaven the extent of the riches that we possess while we follow Jesus. But the fact remains we are the most blessed creatures in all of creation. I hope you know that. We owe everything we have to God and to Jesus for what they have given us. To not only remove us from eternal destruction, that would have been amazing, right? To say, hey, listen, you're not going to go to hell for the sins that you have committed. I'm going to spare you eternal destruction. What if it stopped there? That still would be incredible because we deserved it. But God adopts us into his family. And he puts our names at his banquet table in heaven and says, I want you with me forever. Do you understand the love of God? If you understand this, this truth should awaken your soul if it hasn't yet. I want you to picture the golden scene ticket from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. What happens when Charlie gets that golden ticket? He's running, jumping around, sharing it with everyone else because it's amazing. He's been anticipating this and now he has it. Or like I bring up a lot, I want you to picture Ebenezer Scrooge at the end of Christmas Carol, dancing about his room, dancing in joy, saying things, I'm as light as a feather, I'm as merry as a schoolboy. And then what does he do for the rest of the movie? He's bursting with joy. Why? Because the news that has come to him that he's been spared changed his life. Has the gospel message changed your life? Has it awakened your soul? We've got to move quickly to point three, but point number three is this. The unsearchable riches of Christ can be known best by unifying with Christ's church. I want to read verse 10 again. Listen to verse 10 one more time. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And Paul has been setting this foundation for chapters now, saying it's the church. It's through the church. Make sure you understand how valuable this church is. The gifts just keep on coming. We have boldness and access to our God with confidence, Paul says. So not only are we in the family of God, not only are we heirs of Christ's inheritance, but we have full access to God at all times. Paul is basically saying, go boldly to the God that loves you deeply. Go boldly to him. He loves you. He wants you near him. He wants to hear from you. He wants you next to him at all times. Go boldly. And the writer of Hebrews says, we have such access to God that we can go boldly to the throne of grace. Did you know that? You don't have to pray sheepishly. You don't have to pray like a person who has no relationship with God. You can say to the God of the universe, Father in heaven, Father in heaven, I need your help. So if God spent his son in order to save us, and he did, if God granted us Christ's eternal riches, and he has. And if God has made us the most blessed creatures in all of creation, because we are, then God is telling us today, nothing good is held back from you, child. Nothing good. 
If you need it, come and get it. Because I love you. And I've given you my son. I've given you his riches. I've given you adoption into the family of God. You are the most blessed creature in all of creation, even beyond the angels. Come and get whatever you need. Remember this, you have Jesus. He didn't just give you salvation. He gave you his son. You have a relationship with his son. His son is your bridegroom. And Paul wants us to know that if we ever need help from God, we should simply go and ask. Because God holds nothing back that is good from his people. And he also says this. Paul tells the Ephesians not to lose heart over what he is suffering because it's making them richer. Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering, Paul, in the dungeons, with the beatings, with the imprisonments, with the loneliness. Don't lose heart because this is for your glory. It's making you richer, Gentile. This should cause you to praise God for the work of Paul and many others who risked their lives to get that message out. It's another wonderful evidence of God's love to us, isn't it? Should we ever doubt the love of God? Ever? Ever doubt the love of God? No matter what you're facing today, how scary, how big, how dark it seems, should it ever cause you to doubt the love of God? Never. If you understand what God has done for you, you will never doubt his love. You will run to God. You will race to God and say, God, I need you today. Help me. Well, we must look at this before we close today. In verse 1, this is how he starts the entire passage. He says, for this reason. For this reason. Well, what, what is Paul referring to when he says that? Well, you've got to look back at chapter 2 to understand what he's saying when he says, for this reason. And in chapter 2, he gave us the foundation for what he's telling us today. That the foundation for all our wonderful promises in God is through our union with Jesus Christ. And quite simply, how do we find that union with Jesus Christ? Through faith. Through faith. And the foundation of that is our adoption into God's family. That right there allows us to be blessed for the rest of eternity. Why? Because God only gives his eternal blessings and his riches to his children. Now, I have love for other people's kids. I show kindness to other people's kids. But I don't give the special love to other people's kids like I do to my own children. Isn't that true? Just like you do to your own children. That's right and proper and good. That's how God treats this world. He gives general love to the world. Everybody gets rain. Everybody gets sunshine. Every bird gets food. But who gets his special love and his special blessings? Only his children. Only his church. And the Gentiles for a long time were not God's children. But now since we are in God's family, through faith in Christ, and that has to be emphasized, through faith in Christ. Do you have faith in Christ? Because if you don't have faith in Christ, you cannot be a part of God's family. You will not be a part of God's family. But if you have faith in Christ, you have everything that is good. Everything that is rich. Everything that is eternal. And God holds, withholds nothing good from his children. So what should this teach us? That besides Jesus himself, the church is God's biggest source of blessings that we've ever received. Without being a part of the church, we can't receive anything good from God. And being a part of the church, we are blessed forevermore. Paul's going to continue to say this. The church, the church, the church. Find your purpose in the church. We become a part of the church through faith in Jesus Christ. And he wants us to flourish in the promises of God. But we only can 
by investing ourselves into the church. That's how God gives us his blessings. That's how God gives us his promises through the church. That is his family. This right here, this is a gathering of his church. Do you want to miss out on God's banquet of blessings? You don't. You don't. The church is the banquet of God's blessings. The church is where you find it because the church is the family of God. If you want good things from God, if you want God's love and God's promises, embrace what it means to be a part of his family in his church because that's what the church is, the family of God. Do we understand this today? Without being adopted into the family of God through faith in Christ and without experiencing and embracing God's family, we won't see God's promises we'll be left with only with what the world can offer us, which is nothing that lasts. The world can't give us anything that lasts. But when we embrace our role in God's church, and when we find the mystery of God's riches in Jesus, God's church is right where we belong. It's always where we were meant to be. God created us uniquely to fit in the church. He wants to bless us forevermore through the church. He wants to bestow the unsearchable riches of Christ towards us through the church. He wants, to have, he wants us to have full access to him so we can go to him boldly when we need him through the church. That is why we need to invest in his church. Our very purpose as the people of God is his church. This is not a luxury, people. This is not something you throw into your life whenever you just need it a little bit. You're either the church, you're either the family of God, or you're not. And God has made it that way. He's allowed Gentiles into that family. Jews and Gentiles alike can be a part of God's church through faith in Jesus. That is the one stipulation, the one prerequisite. Trust in my son, follow my son, and you are a part of God's family. And now your purpose is in the church. God did everything possible for us to be loved by Jesus and to be blessed for all eternity with the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love that phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ. If you had to try to find out all the cool things about space, how long would it take you? What about all the amazing things about the Pacific Ocean? How long would it take you to search that out? It's unsearchable. You can search and search and search and search, and people are, and they're just getting to the tip of the iceberg, aren't they? The riches of Christ are too vast. They're too vast to explore. But they're ours. Through the church. God did everything he could to bless us and love us, and now it's our choice to believe and obey like the Jews should have, or to act in disbelief and disobedience like they actually did. So our application is this today, very quickly before we close. Do you understand God's profound mystery that we Gentiles can be heirs with Christ through faith in Jesus? Do you understand that today? Do you have faith in Jesus? Because if you don't have faith in Jesus, none of this is yours. And if you have faith in Jesus, it's all yours. The gospel message was sent to us because we were dead in our sins, we were following the devil, we were children of wrath, we were spiritual rebels, and God didn't want that to be how our story ends. He didn't want the period right there. That would have been horrible. He loved us beyond what any of us could have expected by sending his son to die so we could find eternal life. Can you measure God's love? None of us can. Can you search it out? Not really. 
It's too vast. But it is yours. And it is mine if you have faith in Jesus. Number two, has your soul been awakened to see your need to follow Jesus and to invest in his church? Have you been awakened? Has that message touched your soul in such a way that you now love Jesus passionately? Because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? God commands us to follow and obey Jesus and his commandments and to invest in his church, not because he's robbing us from any earthly joy or comforts. No, quite the contrary. He's seeking to bless us beyond what anyone or anything else could ever bless us. That's why. That's why he wants you to follow Christ. That's why we teach this every single week, so that you're blessed forever. We have the capacity through Jesus to be the most blessed creatures in all of creation. Following Jesus and investing in his church is the banquet of God's love. Number three, do you see that only God's church can receive God's enormous blessings and promises? God wants to give you everything good, and he's not ashamed about that. He wants to give you everything good. He also has an incredibly important purpose for you that he's designed you for in his church. Are you a part of his church through faith in Jesus? What is your current level of commitment to God's church? What's your current level of investment in Christ's church? Do you not see this yet? Do you not understand this today? That is the banquet of his love. That is where your very purpose is found in God's church. Number four, has the mystery of riches through Jesus changed your life forever? I hope it has. It's supposed to. If you really understand it, it will change your life forever. And if so, go faster, go fuller, go greater into that mystery by following Jesus and committing your time, your energy, your talents, and your love into the church. In other words, get on board. Get on board and receive these mystery riches before the train leaves. Because one day it will. One day this will not be here for you to explore any longer if you haven't yet. So what would hold you back from possibly enjoying God's love for you forever? Find Jesus today and you find everything. Everything that God wants to bless you through. See, for a time, Gentiles were on the outside looking in. And now because of God's plan through Jesus, we can be adopted into God's family and find our best purpose on this earth to have full access to God and to await all of Christ's eternal riches. In other words, we can have eternal hope and eternal joy forever. Receive God's mystery riches through following Jesus and investing everything you have into his church. Why? Why would you do that? Why should you do that? Because God has loved you so deeply and he wants to love you even more. And God, too, is worthy of our full love, is he not? Can we pray? Father, I don't know what to say except thank you. Thank you for what you've done through Jesus to make us part of your family. I hope that we've understood this today, even though we've gone quickly. And um, Father, just break our hearts, open our hearts to this truth today so that we can either turn to Christ for the first time or we can really find our purpose in the church and start exploring everything it means to be your child. Father, thank you for teaching us this message. As we'll learn next week about the great love of Christ, Father, continue to open our hearts and soften our hearts to the gospel message that we are in your family and we can love you for the rest of our days. We thank you and praise you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.